Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you live your life shaped by the way. Well, good morning, Heights family. Man, what a great morning, huh? What a great time of worship, all those baptisms. Uh, you, know, you know, that last couple that, that was baptized, I'm not 100% sure on this. You know, you've got digital records and then you've got pencil records that go way back. I don't know if Van wanted me to say this, but he's 89 years old. That was, I think, the oldest person we've ever baptized at the heist. That, that's pretty incredible. And uh, Van, if you didn't want me to say that, just let me know after the service, and I won't, I won't mention that next week. But uh, hey, you know, you see me get up a lot of Sundays with a family standing here, and we're getting ready to acknowledge a a member of our team that's been here for 10 years or 15 years or 25 years. Well, well, not today. The family I have standing here hadn't done one thing. They haven't served one hour on our staff. Not just nothing. But that's all going to change tomorrow. Hey, I announced a a couple of weeks ago that uh, Ethan... Uh, Meadows was going to be our new youth pastor, and uh, he's he has uh, served his notice where he was before, and is now here with us and beginning to work. Ethan, introduce your family and uh, say a few words to us. Awesome, thank you, Pastor yeah. Andy. So uh, my name is Ethan. This is my wife Kirby, our son Jackson, and our daughter Kennedy, and and we are so thankful. They they are just chomping at the bit to to dance and to say something in the microphone. So. Uh, <laughs> But hey, so we've been coming to the Heights now for four years, and, and this is family, uh, and we are so thankful to be a part of a church who, number one, loves the Lord, and number two, cares very, very much about the next generation of young people. And so I'm so honored and thankful to pick up after uh, Pastor Will and Jessica and his family and the legacy of faithfulness and stewardship that they have left behind and carry that and continue with what the Lord is doing here at the Heights. And so... Uh, I truly believe, and I hope you do too, that with equipping and empowerment, our students can go out and change the world for Jesus. And so if you want to be a part of that, you come find me and talk to me, and I would love to get you involved. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. And y'all can, y'all can go on out. You know, you know, I said he hadn't done anything. That's not entirely true. As a, as a volunteer, their, their family's been wonderfully involved in the life and ministry of our church. And we're, we, we did have a, a nationwide search. We, we looked in a variety of places and found that what God was providing for us was right here at home. So very excited to have Ethan joining our staff. And they're going to be out in the concourse uh, at the end of the service. I hope you'll go by and let them know that you're praying for them and supporting them. And uh, maybe you want to know, Ethan, can they, can they ask you today if they want to get involved in youth ministry? Ethan's clapping. Uh, he will be out there. And uh, folks, I tell you what, as, as Will and Jessica finished up, we've had a great year in our youth ministry. And I, I think we're positioned in a better place. It, it just so sounds like I'm supposed to say this right now. I wish you knew how much I meant it. I, I, I believe we're in a, the best place we've ever been in our youth ministry and have some great, great things in front of us. And uh, now's a great time to say, hey, how do I get involved in that and be a part of that? So I hope you'll go out there and meet Ethan and uh, maybe ask him that question. We're, we're really excited to have them on board. Well, folks, okay, man, God's, God's promises. That's what we're talking about today. You know, by His grace, 
by his power, by his kindness, by his goodness. God speaks these incredible promises into your life and in my life. And those promises are our life. And you go to those promises and that's where you're going to find joy and direction and strength. Uh, That's where you're going to find peace and rest and just the ability to live. Our life is anchored to these promises. And likewise, in the opposite direction, when you and I don't anchor to these promises, I guarantee you that's where you're going to see your frustrations, your wrong turns, and, and your brokenness. Today, we're looking at one of the really, really great promises of God, one of the great promises in the Bible. Very simple promise. I will be with you. And we're going to see that promise in Genesis chapter 26, if you want to go ahead and turn there now. Now, when I say Genesis 26, some of you may have been here last week. Actually, a lot of you were here last week. You know we were in Genesis 22, which means I just sailed over a whole bunch of material. Uh, as a matter of fact, since we've been in this series, this is probably the, the biggest jump over some material that we've taken. And we're not doing that because what's there is unimportant. We're doing that because I decided to do Genesis in about six or seven months. We, we started after Easter. We're going to wrap up around Thanksgiving. And as much time as we're spending in it, Genesis is huge. There's a lot to cover. So there's good and important things. Ah, the pastor's jumping right over. And, and today's a good example of that. In chapter 23 uh, is where we see Sarah pass away of Abraham and Sarah. So she's, she, they have been a big part of the story of Genesis, and now she's gone. We get to chapter 24, and Isaac, their son, is going to find a wife and get married. That's a, that's a big story there. And then when we get to chapter 25, okay, this is a big moment, Abraham dies. Chapter 12 through 25 is the story of Abraham. Now, when you think about the big things that Genesis is accomplishing, the, be- the beginning of all things, why things are the way they are, all that Genesis is doing historically and theologically, and one-fourth of that book is about the life of Abraham. And, and now he's passed off the scene. And, and if we look at those chapters, what did we see? Well, we would say it's about Abraham, but it was really it was the story of God. It's the story of God's promises, the story of God's blessing unfolding, being developed in Abraham's life. And of course, Abraham's walking alongside that, isn't he? He's walking alongside in faith and belief. He believed God could do what he said he would do. Abraham believed that God was a promise keeper. And boy, that belief proved pretty important uh, to the test that God took him through last week in Genesis 22. So again, Abraham is now passed away. He's now died. Big piece of Genesis is now over. And so here's our question. Do the promises made to Abraham, do they in fact transfer to Isaac? Now, you might think, well, that's not really a a question. Every time these promises have been communicated, chapter 12, 15, 18, number of places there that God is repeating, reminding of the promises. And every time he says, and to your descendants. In some places, he's even more specific and says, to Isaac. So why would that be a question whether the promises transfer? Well, 
could I just say, because Abraham's dead? (laughs) Okay, I mean, Abraham was alive, that's what God's saying. But now, is this really how it's going to work out when when Abraham's off the scene and and he's gone? Do, do in fact, these promises live beyond Isaac? That's what we're going to see, chapter 26, answer 4. So let's go ahead and turn there uh, in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 26, and I will begin in verse 1. It says, A severe famine now struck the land, as it happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. The Lord appeared to Isaac, and he said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you. There's that promise. I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give them all these lands. My my question's pretty easily answered, isn't it? (laughs) We see the answer here. And And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me. And obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Good call, Isaac. Now, verse 7. Now, here's what I don't know, what I can't tell by reading this. How much time is there between verse 6 and 7? There's this moment here that, that Isaac is having with God, and then there's the story we're getting ready to read next. I don't know if this is five minutes later, a week later, a month later. I do think it's soon. It's not a year later. I, I, I think this is happening pretty quickly after what we just read. So let's, let's see what the next part of the story is. Verse 7. When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, she is my sister. Okay, that's weird. He was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought they will kill me to get her because she's so beautiful. But sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out his window and he saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. Okay, y'all look the other way. Immediately, Abimelech called for Isaac and exclaimed, that ain't your sister. That's not quite what he said. But he did say, hey, she's obviously your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Well, because I was afraid someone would kill me to to get her from me, Isaac replied. "How, How could you do this? Abimelech exclaimed. One of my people might easily have taken your wife and and slept with her, and you would have made us guilty of great sin. Then Abimelech issued a public proclamation, anyone who touches this man or his wife will be put to death. So kind of an odd story there that we just finished reading. I'll come back to that, but let's, let's go back to our question on the table. Do the promises that God has made to Abraham, do they in fact transfer to Isaac? And you read verses 2 through 4 and that's pretty easily answered, isn't it? As a matter of fact, if you compare what God is saying to Abraham here in Genesis, or Isaac here in Genesis 26, to what God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, you see it's not identical word for word. It's not a copy and paste, but it's, it's all the same promises that are being made there. And, and what's interesting, in both places, there's a point of obedience. 
When God gives all those promises to Abraham, he says, now you need to move. You, you need to move from this place you've always lived, and I want you to go over here to this land that I'm going to give you, and that land is what we're going to come to know as Israel. With, with, with uh, Isaac, it's, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? God, God, God introduces himself, delivers all these promises, and then says, stay. Stay. You know, it almost sounds like God's responding to something. I mean, all we know is that Isaac moved to Gerar. But it sounds like, I don't know this, but it sounds like maybe Isaac was thinking, hey, I'm not sure I want to stay in Gerar. Maybe, maybe we should move to Egypt. Maybe he and Rebecca had, you know, hey, this, I don't want to live here till this famine's over. Let, let's go to Egypt. It sounds like that's something on their mind in that God says, don't go to Egypt. Don't go to Egypt. I want you to stay here. Now, whatever the reason God is saying that, I want to say for a moment is irrelevant. Here's the point. Whenever God is delivering promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to you and me, there's always going to be a point of obedience. And the obedience is not how we get God's promise to work. The obedience isn't you and me earning God's promise or or paying God for his promise. That promise comes completely and totally by grace. I'm going to prove that in a little bit. But what we are doing in the obedience, when I, when I take that step, this is a, a physical, spiritual, emotional way of me engaging all of me and telling God, I believe you. I believe what you just said. You, you gave me all these promises. You told me to stay here in Gerar. I'm staying. Why? Because I believe you. That's what belief is. It's obedience. Guess what disbelief is? disobedience. Why do I not obey God in this moment? Because I don't believe him. I, I don't believe that what he said is right. I don't believe that he's with me. I don't believe he can take care. So because I don't believe that, I, I don't obey it. And that's why I think it's so important that in the middle of that, we get that great promise. I am with you. And as God delivers these problems to Isaac, he, boy, he makes an incredible statement there. He says, uh, you're getting these promises because your father, your dad, he listened and obeyed. Man, think about that for a second. Moms and dads, parents, ha- have you set your kids up for God's blessings, for God's promises by the way you listen and obey? Now, if I meditate on that question just for another second or two, I'm going to start sinking in shame and guilt. Because parents are really, rarely confident about what, what they did. And I think, oh, I could have done this. I could, have, I could have done that. But hey, there's some good news here. And I think it has a, a big part of why we see the story unfold as we do in verse 7. For while there's no doubt... When you step back from Abraham's life, you can sum it up as a life that listened and obeyed. A life that followed God. But do you know what? Abraham wasn't perfect. Abraham sinned. Abraham failed. Now, we'll, we'll come back to that. Now, let's look at this story and how I think kind of strategically placed. So, in verse 7, we have uh, Isaac and Rebekah said, Okay, God, we're, we're staying put. We're here in Gerar. And right after God has said, stay here, I'm with you, then all, all of a sudden we have this story. 
So the, these guys come up, hey, who are you? Why are you in town? What are you doing? And they, they get to know each other. And uh, he's got Rebecca here, who apparently is some kind of smoke show going on. And he's afraid of saying, this is my wife. Because, hey, it's, this is a very rough world. We, we think our world's kind of rough. Hey, I think I like your wife. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you, and, I, and I'm, going to, I'm going to take your wife. It, it was a brutal world. What wasn't safe for anybody. And so Isaac says, hey, if I just tell everybody she's my sister, well, now it's just completely the opposite. Not only does nobody kill me, but now maybe they're going to favor me, you know? If they, hey, if, if, if they think I like them, they'll think maybe I'll put in a good word with his wife, you know? So hey, now I go to being a person of favor, and this worked out pretty good. Now, never mind the position that puts his wife in. This is awful. I mean, this is all, I mean, it's, it speaks to the world they live in. Take care of the man. Women, good luck for you. You know, it, it's, just an, it's just an awful story. Why is he doing this? Why did he tell this lie? Why did, see, simple, tell the truth. Why did he disobey? Because he didn't believe God was with him. You know, I don't find this unlike all of us. He had this place. He had this point. Here comes all the promises. And God, I believe you. And I take steps of obedience. I walk through the waters of baptism. I become a part of the church. I stop cussing. For a couple of days anyway. I mean, I'm trying. Okay? And, and so you see, we, we receive God. And, and I'm stepping out in obedience. But folks, just like Isaac... Every one of us is going to somewhere, I'm going to walk into a room, I'm going to walk into a situation, I'm going to walk into a relationship, and all of a sudden, oh, I don't know if I believe God in this. I I don't believe God can be and do what he said he was going to be and do, so now all of a sudden, I've got to take over. In Isaac's case, i got to protect me. I've got to to watch out for me. And and so he he tells this lie. Tells this lie about about Sarah, uh, Rebecca being his sister. I mean, what, what, what a horrible failure of, of saying, hey, God, I, I, I believe you. And yet, there's God who is still going to be with him. And he gives up that chance to show his obedience, to show what it would mean, what it would look like that God was with them in that moment. You know what? It can be hard to believe, right? I, I can't imagine there's anybody, no, you know, I found the whole believing and obedience issue to be pretty easy. No, you, you know what? As we walk through life, I want to obey, you want to obey, I want to believe, you want to believe, but then here we are, we, we fail, we don't, and we got these different reasons, and I think that's why this, this uh, verse is so important. This promise, I am with you. You know, that's, that's always been God's promise. It's, it's a theme of the Bible. He says it to groups. He says it to individuals. He says to Abraham, I'm with you. He says to Isaac, I'm with you. Fast forward in the story. There we are on Mount Sinai before the burning bush. And what does God say to Moses? I'll be with you. And then Moses dies, and Joshua is going to take over leadership. Can you imagine following Moses? I mean, set aside Jesus for a second, the Son of God, Yahweh. Set that aside for a moment. Moses is the biggest person in the Bible, the biggest character in the Bible. You say, well, what about all the New Testament characters? Look how much they're talking about Moses. And right behind that, 
Abraham. I mean, how would you like to follow Moses? The guy split the sea, right? And God calls him to follow him. And he's, what does he say? Hey, I'm going to be with you. Yeah, big task in front of you. This is going to be hard. That's why it's so important you know I am with you. Jesus, to his disciples, to you and me. Think about those, those first group of disciples. Man, they've walked with Jesus every day for three years. They've been through the, the crucifixion and now the resurrection and have kin, continued to enjoy the resurrected Christ's presence. And they, they've walked with him and now he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And what does Jesus say to them? And lo, until the end of the age, I'm with you always. Over and over, this is the promise to all believers everywhere. Here's my favorite one. It's saying the same thing as all the others. I just like the way it says it. Hebrews 13, 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. If you live on planet earth, people leave you and people forsake you. There's not a human experience that does not involve people leaving. Sometimes it's bad reasons. Sometimes it's, hey, it's good reasons. We move. Life changes. But you live on this earth, and, and, and there's always people exiting your life. Do you realize what Jesus has promised you? You don't ever get a hear a goodbye from me. Never, ever, ever do I leave. Never, ever, ever do I forsake. I am with you always. It's a theme, it's a message, it's something that God is trying to sink deep into your heart and life. I'm not going to leave you. Now, what did we learn a moment ago? With a promise comes a point of obedience. How do I flesh out? How do I live that I actually believe that God is with me? You know, if you look at every one of these people I just mentioned... And where God told them, I'll be with you, guess what you're going to find? A command. You go back to Joshua 1.9 when he says, hey, I'm with you. You know what he says right before that? Be strong and courageous. Be a man. Step up. I know it's a big thing to follow Moses, and that's exactly what I'm telling you to do. How about the disciples? Okay, he's rising up into heaven and he says, man, I'm, I am with you always. What's the command that comes right before that? Go make disciples. Go make disciples. Do you realize that command defines the activity of your life? There's nothing else you and I are to be about other than the business of making disciples. We let all kinds of other things shape our lives. And yet all those other things are just the places and the situations we're going to make disciples. What does it mean to make a disciple? Living like Christ in front of somebody. Introducing Christ to somebody. Helping that person grow and flourish in Christ. So they can live like Christ in front of somebody. And introduce them to Christ. That's the whole process of discipleship. And it's the activity of your life. Maybe you'll do that as a rich person. Maybe you'll do it as a poor person. Maybe you'll do it healthy. Maybe you'll do it unhealthy. Maybe you'll do it young. Maybe you'll do it old. Maybe you'll do it at work. Maybe you'll do it on your hobbies. That's the, all those places, all those situations, just define where I do the one great activity. You realize this is the last thing Jesus said to us before he ascended into heaven? Hey guys, I'm leaving when I get back. One question, did you go make disciples? That's what we're to be about. And we're all going to do it in different ways. 
There's ways we do it very similar. There's ways we contribute very differently. You know, it's interesting. We heard, we heard several people, I think two of the people that had, who do you think? Man, I thank the church. I mean, it, it's not what one person, it's what, it's what all of us did. Now, of course, I'd be the most important one right up here preaching. I mean, my goodness, I've got to be the best one here. And yet, it'd be really frustrating to get in and off this parking lot. Sometimes it still is without our parking attendants. And maybe your ability to sit and listen is because somebody is watching and loving and teaching your children right now. You know, or there was greeters that helped you find their way. See, we all pitch in. Somebody's running a camera. Someone's running the sound. And there's so many ways we all pitch in. Are you pitching in? Are, are, are you being a part of the team and doing what it takes so that we get to watch what we watched this morning? You know, there was six others, I think it was six others, at the other service. Over 20 people baptized today. Over 100 people this year. And, and, and we all pitch into that. You know, I, lo- I love God. He not only gives us specific ways, our own gifts and abilities, our own experiences out of which we do this, but then he gives us some simple ways that every single one of us every day can be contributing. How about prayer, right? You know, when, I, when I'm praying for the, the church, I'm praying for the people that I serve with in that church, I'm praying for our ministries, but by my prayers, I think we believe prayer is the biggest way we pitch in, right? Okay, by my prayers then, I'm, I play a part, I play a role in all of those people coming through to be baptized. Another way God gives every single one of us is giving. You understand how important that is? It's not because God's out of money and he needs yours. He's giving you and I a very tangible, concrete way that, that we can pitch in all together and we're, we're a part of that. You know, what if God had said, hey, you know, this is the activity of your life. There's very little more important that you're going to do this other than love me and worship me. So here's what I want to do. I want everybody to give at least $10,000 to this. Man, what if God put a number on that? Well, now, hey, there'd be a handful of people in here. I don't know how many. They could write a check for $10,000, and it wouldn't change one thing about 2023 financially for them. It wouldn't even slow them down. It wouldn't even, they didn't have to think through it. Boom, there's $10,000, i am done. Where there's some others, if we wrote a check for $10,000, that check would bounce and bounce and bounce and bounce. I don't know who all would be ministered to by that, but I just sunk my ship writing a check for ten. So that's why God doesn't give an amount. He doesn't say, because that, that wouldn't be right, it wouldn't be fair, what he gives, a percentage. A significant percentage, 10%. God fully intends for what we give to be something. I have to think, how am I going to do this? How does my budget work around it? He, He gives us something tangible, something of value. But where every one of us, according to what we have. He never calls you to give according to what you don't have. But by that giving, I play a role in that. You know, we saw uh, a a lot of young people. We saw uh, several people go through there that said they prayed to receive Christ at Windshape. We've seen a couple go through that said it was at youth camp. Do you know we all made that possible? Now, there's got to be more than a parent or two in here right now thinking, I don't remember everybody making that possible. I remember writing the check. So my kid could go to youth camp or, or go to wind shape. Yes, you did. And what you wrote paid 54% of what it took to do that. 54%. Well, where'd the other 46 come from? The people sitting around you. 
Try, trying to make that as doable as possible, as cheap as possible, and because we don't want actually any one parent to carry the weight of that because this is the job of all of us. Why is it the job of all of us? Because God said, go make disciples. Amen. So all of us together, we reach the next generation. You know what? If you give to this church, you're a part of every one of those young people that just came through these waters. And I think I just headed down a pretty long rabbit trail right there. That's not what Genesis chapter 26 is about. But Jesus said, I'm with you to the end of the age. What's the point of obedience? Go make disciples. Make the activity of your life making disciples. And I'm going to be with you as you do that. That last one, my favorite one, Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. What's the point of obedience around that? Actually, it's before and after, verses 4 and 6 says this, let marriage be held in honor among you all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he himself has said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my Helper. Think of how much we depend upon sex and money for our life, our identity, our strength, our help. God says, I got you covered. I know I'm putting some restrictions on how you use and enjoy these things, but I'm with you. I'm with you. Folks, it's the message of the Bible. He says it to Abraham, he says it to Isaac, and he's saying it to every single one of us in here. Hey, listen. It can be hard to obey, it can be hard to follow, it can be hard to have faith, but I'm with you. You you know, really, while we see these commands attached to the promise, as you and I read through the Bible, every command we read, we should just say in our mind, and Jesus is going to be with me. Hey, tell the truth, I'm with you. Be my witness. Hey, that'll cost you in this world, but I'm, I'm with you. Forgive them. Forgive them, Lord. They've done this to me nine times, Lord. I know. I know. I'm with you. Go go forgive them. Turn the other cheek. Give the tithe. Bear with one another. That's my favorite church command. You know, one another is always talking about how we treat each other here in this room. Bear with one another is the, the Bible way of saying put up with each other. Put Lord, it's hard, but they're so draining. They just suck the life right out of me, Lord. This is really getting heavy. And you know what God says? I know, I know. It's the same thing I deal with you. (laughs) Just takes all the fun out of every day. Hey, try it again. Put up with them. I'll be with you. Hey, love God. (laughs) God says, hey, listen, I know it can be hard to love me. I'm with you. I'll help you do it. Keep sex between one man and one woman in marriage. I'm with you. I know you're going against your feelings. I know you're going against everything going on in the culture around you. I know you can feel like that puts you in an awkward, bad, difficult. I'm with you. Hey, believe on Jesus for your salvation. Believe on. I mean, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, when you try to believe in me, I'm going to be there to help you do this. Folks, I can go on and on and on. 
It's the message of the Bible. God's with you. And look what happened. Isaac didn't believe that, did he? I mean, he did. He absolutely did. He received all the promises. God said, stay in Gerar. I'm staying put. Honey, put up a mailbox. We're living here. And then turns around. Yeah, she's my sister. You can have her. What a mess. And it's the same mess that you and I make. I mean, we, we, like, I mean Isaac is, is every single one of us. When I choose not to live according to that promise, act according to that promise, what do I do? I make, I make a fool of myself. Folks, Isaac is being schooled by a pagan king. A pagan king is saying, hey man, that doesn't honor God. That doesn't honor marriage. That you shouldn't be doing that. You see, when you and I don't trust God, we completely give away our opportunity to be a witness to everybody who's around us and watching. We give away our opportunity to show God, I trust you, I believe in you. We give away the chance to show God's way works. And we're just left standing there making a mess of things. You remember back at the beginning I said all of God's promises are by God's grace? And obeying isn't how you make God keep his promise. Obeying isn't how you earn God's promise. Well, here we've watched Isaac, like a lot of believers. I receive God's love and forgiveness. And then I go out here and mm, make a mess of things. Well, we've just watched Isaac. He, he received the promise of what God was going to do. Went out there, did not believe the promise Listen to verse 12, the verse that immediately follows this story. When Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted. Remember, it's a famine. For the Lord blessed him. He became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and servants, that the Philistines became jealous of him. But jump to verse 28. And they replied, we can plainly see that the Lord is with you. The same group of people that watched him lie and sell his wife right down the river turn right back around and say, man, God's on your life. That's the opportunity we have when we believe on Jesus. But if that's not clear evidence, God keeps his promises. Regardless of what you and I are doing, regardless of the mess we're making of it. You say that and you can't help but ask, what difference does it make how I live then? That's a good question. We're going to answer it next week. That's the title of next week's sermon. Does it make any difference how I live then? But how do you want to live for a God who loves you like this? It is by God's grace. Man, what a a reminder here. All those promises come by God's grace. It's God's grace that we need to cling to, anchor to, hold on to. Yes, when we fail. Hey, to be honest with you, I don't have a hard time depending on God's grace when I fail. Because when I fail, that's all I got in that moment. I mean, I know I'm a mess. So I hold on to God's grace. Ah, but what about when we're successful? 
Hey, I, I, I gave money to the church. I've been praying for the church. I, I volunteer and do this and that. And I hadn't cussed in a really long time. And you know, and, and you know what? I mean, isn't that what we're all trying to do? Obey and, 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 and I check all those things off. That's when it's really hard to trust. It's by God's grace. It's God's grace that gave me the ability to be obedient and, and to do those things. I want you to think for a moment about where you don't trust God right now. Where, where do you not believe He's with you. Now, as I ask a, a large group of people that, I don't, I don't think this would be the majority of us, but I know there's people throughout this room, people watching online right now. You've never come to faith in Jesus Christ. You've never repented and believed. D- do you realize, until you do that, it doesn't matter what you're doing with all the rest of the commands of the Bible, whether you're obeying them or disobeying them. It doesn't matter until you repent and believe because you have no relationship with God. Without repenting and believing. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said you need to repent. Repent just means you turn, right? See, I was going this way in life. And when I'm going in this direction, my faith is in myself. I trust myself. I trust my sin. I believe I'm a good person or at least good enough. I believe I'm spiritual. I, 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 I believe I'm going in the right direction. Hey, I don't even know if I believe there's a God. I don't even know if I believe there's a judgment day. I don't even know if I believe there is a heaven and a hell. And if there is, I just believe it'll all work out in the end because I'm a pretty good person. So I'm trusting in what I think. I'm trusting in what I feel. I trust in whether I should lie or not lie and a whole host of other things. My faith is in myself. I repent from listening to myself. I repent from trusting in myself. And I put my faith in what Jesus said, who said there is a day of judgment. There is a heaven, a hell. And you're not in a good place by yourself. But I'll take you to the Father and it'll be good. Put your faith and your confidence in me. Have you repented and believed? Why not? Why not? You know, I think... I think if you're going to say no, if you're going to reject God and the promise he's in, you ought to be really clear why you're doing that. If you want to do that, Jesus says, come on, right now, today is the day of salvation. Now, as I said a moment ago, a lot of the rest of us, we have repented and believed. We have that relationship. Just like Isaac, God, Lord, I'll take your love. I'll take your forgiveness. I'll take eternal life. I'll take heaven. I'll take that promise that you're with me always. Then we walk out and somewhere along the way, right? That's what I'm asking you right now. Where, where's along the way you've stopped believing? What's the situation? What's the problem? What's the temptation where you don't believe God is with you? Don't you want to believe? Don't you want your next step to be as somebody who believes in the God who has loved you so? Let's do this. Bow our head and close our eyes. I want to give you a moment to pray about it. I'm not going to lead us in prayer because there's so many different things going on in here right now. So many different issues. I just say your own prayer. I hope your prayer is, I want to repent and believe. I want to begin this journey with you, God. Lord, I have repented. I have believed. 
But God, I've stopped believing in this situation right here. Talk to God about that right now. Oh, God, will will I, will we ever fathom how deep and wide is your love? How, How rich and broad is your grace? Will we ever fathom all that it covers? Will we ever fathom your gentleness with us? God, I want to respond to that rightly. I want to respond to that with belief. I I want to take the step you want me to take. I want to take that next step of obedience that shows you I really believe you're with me. And Lord, I pray for the opportunity that my, my family, my neighbors, my co-workers, my other students, I, I, just like with Isaac there, they'll say, we can tell the Lord is with you. I want people to see you, God. You've just been so good to me. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.